day set apart for the occult. I don't know if you caught that. Um, And when I heard that, when I watched the video the first time, it struck me that, honestly, if we're really thinking through it, every day apart from Christ is a day that's set apart for the occult. Set apart for something that is lesser than a God that is lesser than the one true God. And our hope is that even through these, uh, the backpacks and the boxes that we're sending out uh, and through our witness here in this community and to the ends of the earth, that we'll see people's hearts changed, transformed, and turned to Christ. And that's why, we, that's why we read the word. That's why we study the word. That's why we want to hear from God's word today is to remind us of the good news that comes through Christ. And so uh, I'm going to read today from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 44 through chapter 5, verse 22. Um, This is the passage of scripture that John will be uh, preaching from here in just a few moments. Let me read it as you follow along, and uh, then we'll pray for John and for the word to do its work. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 44 says this, This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land in the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites, who lived to the east beyond the Jordan, from Arior, which is at the edge of the valley of the Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is... Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the sea of the Arabah under the slopes of Pisgah. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness. 
with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. This is God's word for us today that we might know him, that we might hear it, and we might do it, that we would live in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we hear from God's word now, Lord, I pray for John, that he would be clear in his delivery, Lord, but more than that would point us to the truth of the gospel and the truth of your word and the truth that is found here because in that truth is found life. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would now have open ears, open hearts, and that your spirit working through your word, which is perfect and sharper than any two-edged sword, would cut out those sources of sin within our lives, cut out that idolatry that so easily entangles us, cut out the things that have our hearts, and then, and then replace them with the good news that we hear here. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work through your word to make us more like Jesus, because that's our need and that's our desire. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 4, 44 through 522. Today's passage is going to continue with the themes we've been seeing in Deuteronomy so far, remembering, listening, and doing. And there's a big difference between hearing and listening, isn't it? Listening is important. Okay. I know as I get older, it's probably from being in construction and running saws and all, but i got a ringing in my ears that just won't stop. And I hear it, but I'm not listening to it. Okay, Or think of the Charlie Brown commercial or cartoon when the teacher's speaking. You're saying it in your head right now, ain't you? You know, the wah-wah, wah-wah-wah, you hear that, but there's nothing there to listen to. And probably my favorite is about music. Uh, you know, when you hear music, you start, right, Peggy? Don't you do like that? Can't you see Peggy? You start getting into it, you start getting into the rhythm, you know, and you're enjoying it. But, uh, I mean, in bluegrass, George, we get the chicken neck going. You know, so you, you really get in. But that's just hearing it. But once you start listening to the music, man, you hear all the different instruments playing. You hear the words to the song. You know, you get the meaning of the song. And so it's a whole lot more to it. And you can take our Sunday morning worship service. You know, we start off with our countdown, and then we've got our video. And uh, then everybody starts to take, take their seat. But we really don't have your attention until you hear, Good morning. And welcome to Old Powhatan Baptist Church. Then everybody's kind of focused in on what we're doing. And I'm going to see if you're listening. Then what do we say? To proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to everyone, especially those who haven't heard, right? Okay. So, listening is super important. Uh, you know, when we want to really make sure that somebody is listening to us, maybe we should use the word hark. That's a fun word, isn't it, Peggy? Huh? Hark. You know, it kind of hits you like a little electrical shock or a shock or a, like a jab in the ribs but you hit you get your attention and that's how chapter four begins in the king james version it says now therefore hearken o israel hark literally means to listen to pay attention to attend you know to lean into the conversation and to take notice and a good comparison is hearing is to listening as seeing is to beholding because what we hear, what goes in our ears from listening, listening gets sorted out in our brains, and that's going to affect how we're going to react, what we're going to believe, and ultimately the action that we take in our lives. 
And it all starts from listening. And that's what Moses has been saying. Listen and do it. So Deuteronomy is a series of sermons uh, that Moses is preaching just before he dies. It's a series of three. We're starting off on number two today. And he lays out how we should live when we experience the grace and the salvation of God. So the scripture today, chapter 4, verses 44 through 49 Moses is introducing his second message to the people of Israel. It takes us all the way through chapter 26, and because they're right now they're on the threshold of entering the promised land, right there on the brink. All they've got to do is cross the Jordan. They've tasted the first fruits of victory in battle. That's what the end of chapter 4 was referring to in, in 46 through 49. So all they've got to do is enter the promised land. But, that's a big word in the Bible too, right? But their success and happiness in the promised land is directly dependent on their observance of God's law. If they're going to enter and take the promised land, they have to be trained in God's word. They won't take it by their own plans or their own power, but only by in obedience to God. And it sounds familiar because the same is true for us. We'll never walk in hope. We'll never experience abundant life in God that he has for us in Jesus because if we're not in his word and we don't live by his word, we won't flourish. Amen? Amen. Okay. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 and verse 9 say, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. The King James Version says it this way in Deuteronomy 5.1. It says, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak into your ears this day, that you may learn them, keep them, and do them. So listen to what I'm teaching you so that you can learn and do what God says. And we're going to see this command repeated several times as we continue through our study in Deuteronomy. Moses is demanding their attention. Why? Because it's for their own good. When God speaks, we need to listen. When God speaks when you're reading your Bible, do you listen? Or are you just reading the Bible just to say, hey, you know, I finally got through Genesis this month. You know, or when you sit under faithful preaching. You know, do you really engage in what's being said? Do you really listen? Or are you fumbling with your phone? Are you thinking about, man, a lot of stuff coming up at work this week. And, man, what's for lunch today? (laughs) Or I know the kids have got a bunch of games this coming Saturday. And before you know it, service is over and you haven't listened to a thing. And I know I've been guilty of that at times. And one way I've helped overcome it is I take notes. It helps to keep you engaged and follow what's being gone, and you can refer to them during your study time during the week. When Moses says, Hero Israel, he's reminding them of a couple of things. One is that they are bound to the covenant they agreed to in Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. And here's the covenant they made with God. When God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. 
And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So who, who is Moses reviewing and explaining the law of God to here in the passage today? The new generation. The covenant was made with the previous generation who promised to obey it, but they failed to follow through on that commitment and they perished in the wilderness. So this present and new generation had to understand and embrace the covenant if they're going to enjoy the blessings of the covenant. As verse 3 says, Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. So Moses' message is just simply this. God isn't dealing with them. He's dealing with you. It's time for you to commit yourself to obedience. It's a covenant of the living and not of the dead. And even if they had obeyed, it still would have been necessary for the generation that followed to make a personal commitment on their own. So every generation must learn the truth of God for themselves. It's not sufficient just to simply know the truth merely as something believed and practiced by a past generation. They need to understand that they're in a covenant relationship with God as his people individually and as the nation of Israel. So we don't have a relationship with God simply by riding on the faith coattail of others. Amen. Amen. And two is this. The covenant refers to the conditional covenant made with the first generation of Israel at Mount Sinai, also referred to as Horeb, which we know as the Mosaic Covenant. When he says, not with their fathers in verse 3, that refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with whom God made the unconditional Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant unconditionally guaranteed Israel the promised land. Now, the Mosaic Covenant that we refer to as the Old Covenant was given not just as a set of rules, but so that they would flourish that they would enjoy the promised land. But their enjoyment was contingent on whether they obeyed God's covenant with them. That's why it's so critical for Moses to cover this. The second generation needed to remember and listen and take heed. They're being made ready by God through Moses. They're being retaught to obey and to see God as their creator, deliverer, sanctifier, sustainer, and rewarder. And Deuteronomy, in fact, means just that, the second giving of the law. Think about it. This generation that's preparing to enter the promised land was what? Very young. Some were probably not even born at the time when God made the covenant with his people. They didn't see all that took place when God had brought them out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, when God first made the covenant with them. And he stood at the mountain and it burned with fire and it was wrapped in darkness and in cloud. And when God spoke out of the midst of the fire and gave the Ten Commandments, when he drove out all the nations greater than them and mightier and brought them in and gave them that land, those that were there, they were probably, again, very young. They might have saw and heard what happened, even experienced it, but they didn't understand it. So as Deuteronomy 1, 39 through 40 told us, when the first generation wouldn't enter the promised land because they were afraid, they saying that the people there are greater and taller and their city or cities are greater and more fortified. This is what the book Deuteronomy says. says, 39, As for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, 
and your children who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So again, Moses is calling them to remember that God alone has done everything. He's provided, he's spoken, remember his faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace. Don't be scared like your fathers. You as individuals and as a nation need to place your faith and trust in God and have a relationship with him. We've got a personal relationship with God through Jesus, don't we? Our saving relationship with God is not based on others, but it's based on our own personal walk with Christ through faith. So people of every generation should seek to understand and follow God's law. Luke eleven twenty eight says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. James one twenty two says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Remember what God said in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, We understand this new generation grew up wandering around in the wilderness. They didn't know anything else. But they've been told of this promised land, but how are we going to enter it and take possession of it? And I think under human thoughts, what they didn't do here is they didn't call a meeting of the military strategists. He didn't call the people to inventory their weapons. What did he do? He set the law before them. Okay? Moses wanted the people to understand that victory in the promised land was more than a matter of military superiority over their enemies. Their victory, their prosperity, and their longevity in the promised land were directly dependent on their attitude towards God's word and their willingness to honor their covenant with him. God knows how life should be lived because he created life. He knows where we came from and where we're going. So who knows you better than God? He knew they'd come from an idolatrous Egypt, and where were they headed? To a pagan Canaan. Okay? Verses 6 through 21, Moses reminds them of what the Lord had said in the Ten Commandments. This is his word for you, this generation. This is how you're going to enter and take possession of the promised land. But now, I'm not going to sit up here this morning and break down all ten of the commandments. We'll do that as we work our way through the rest of Deuteronomy. What I want to do this morning is look at how these commandments work together. So quickly, we're going to look at four things. Why God's law, how the Ten Commandments work together, the problem of the law, and the solution to that problem. So first, why God's law? Verse uh, 16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. What does he mean by well here? That things would just go smooth? No, it means that they are going to flourish. They're going to thrive and grow and develop. And are the Ten Commandments just a set of laws and decrees to keep us out of trouble or just to prove our loyalty, you know, like an earthly king would impose on you? Is this our relationship to God's statutes and commandments? Are we just trying to keep a list of shall nots 
in order to please God? I hope not. When we study and look into his law and listen to him, we find that God's law is an expression of his very nature. His character. It's not just an arbitrary set of rules. When God says don't lie or bear false witness, he says that because he doesn't lie. He is a God of integrity and truth. And since we're made in his image, if the law of God reflects his nature, it should reflect our nature and what we need to be to be fully who God created us. So take lying as an example. You've got to have truth and trust or everything breaks down in life. We have to be able to believe that what we read or hear is true. I mean, think about trust and truth in marriage or society as examples. When God says don't lie, it's not just giving us busy work. He's saying it goes against the nature of how I made you and it violates you. And I know my family's been experiencing some health issues due to food allergies. So the doctor says don't eat this list of things and you're going to feel better and you're going to get better. And if you do eat these things, nobody's got to reprimand you. Nobody's got to correct you. Why? Because you're going to suffer the natural consequences yourself, aren't you? So if you violate the doctor's order, you're violating your own nature and what's best for you. And that's what God is saying here. Don't think of God's law as a set of random rules. Living outside of God's law only leads to breakdown and futility. In God's law, you will find who you are and you're going to flourish. The second point, how the commandments work together, James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Meaning God's law is interdependent. They combine and work together. Let's look at them. Now, if you work in OPBC Kids, you can sing the Ten Commandments if you want. It's okay. But uh, God first, no idols, don't misuse God's name, worship and rest, honor your parents, this will bring God fame. <laughs> don't murder, no adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. Okay? So the first four commandments are our relationship to God, how we honor and how we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And you may be familiar with it being called our vertical relationship to God. And commandments 5 and 10 are horizontal. It's our relationship with one another. And how do I love my neighbor as myself? So combined, the commandments are both spiritual and social, and they're both spiritual and practical. Commandments 1 and 2 are talking about where our true heart lies. When God says, no other gods before me, and no graven image, he's saying that if anything is more important for your hope and for your meaning in life, for your self-worth and for your security, if any of that is more important than me, then you're sinning. Tim Keller's got a good example. He says, God is on audio, but the world is on video. So what's going to get your attention? The video, right? The image, not the sound. So we believe what God is saying, but the image has captured our imagination. That's what Israel was going to face when they entered the promised land. They were going to see all of this grand stuff and, you know, all that's been promised in the Bible. And they could say, well, these people don't believe in God, the one true God, but yet look at all they have. So are we guilty of the same thing today? Which points us to the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. 
How do you know if there's something more important to you than God? If you lack contentment. Do not covet as a command to be content. Yeah, you may still want things, uh, but they won't drive you and they won't consume you. This is a command for inner peace and to find your all in the Lord. If you're content in the Lord, then you will have time for God and you'll have time to serve him. You won't be chasing things of this world, the passions of the flesh. Now you have time to read and study the Bible and serve Christ, love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And I know I've struggled here, and I continue to struggle to a certain extent. You know, you work, work, work so that you can do whatever you want to do versus what I can do for God. If we can get our vertical relationship with God right, then we can get our horizontal relationship with others right. And really, if you look closely at the Ten Commandments, they command that you be born again. You know, it's an inner transformation of dying to self and earthly pleasures and rising to newness of life. So now you can understand better what James was saying. If you break one, you break them all. They're all interdependent. Take, for instance, what if you say, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I attend men's ministries, or for the ladies, I attend the women's ministries. I honor God, but you're cruel to people that you work with. You're emotionally abusive to your spouse or to your children. You're harsh, you're nasty. You have fits of anger, but you still say, I love God. If you say, I love God, but just don't like people, you're not honoring God if you don't love people. You can't keep commandments one through four without keeping commandments five through ten. Or vice versa, if you say, I lied, I stole, but at least I didn't commit idolatry. You made your reason for lying and stealing more important than God, and that's idolatry. So you broke that. The problem with the law, Deuteronomy 5, verses 4 through 5 say, The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. You know, to hear God is a wonderful but yet a terrible thing. Here's what they felt. When you hear the law of God, you say, Man, of course I should live like that. How can I not live like that? But on the other hand, you say, I can't live like this. No matter how hard I try, I can't. And they can't live without it or with it. So in Deuteronomy 4.10, God says, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. So what do we hear when we hear the word fear? To be afraid, don't we? Okay. That's not what it means here in the Old Testament. It means to experience awe and wonder. And that's what God is saying. Oh, that my people would want to obey me out of love. Not because they're afraid of me. Not because they have to. But because they want to. Because they love me. It's in just these three these, uh, verses today. The Lord your God. It's used ten times. I use Pam as an example. I'll use an example again in second service. It, Pam says to one of our grandkids, and Emma, I'll pick on you, okay? She'll say, you're my Emma. You know how the grandmas do that. You're my Emma. You know. So what does she mean by that? You know what she means. She means she loves Emma. She cherishes her. They're very close as she is with all of her grandchildren. And that's what God is saying. Obey me because you love me. 
I am the Lord, your God. Okay? Your God. We should cherish that the Lord is my God. So why did God give us the law that we would submit to him? Is that how we should see the law? Nah. We could, he could simply speak or snap his fingers and have us submit. God wants an intimate, loving relationship with us. Obey and love because he is your God. Make it personal. God also shows us his love in verse 6. God gave before he commanded. If you look at verse 6, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the God who redeemed you. God established a relationship with his people before he unpacked the responsibility that would set them apart. So we say this all sounds good and is good, but where's the problem? I mean, we know all of this is not happening. So here's what Paul says in Romans seven fifteen and 18. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. It's because of our sinful nature ever since the fall of man in Genesis. The solution to the problem, I hope everybody knows, the solution is Jesus. We need a mediator that can pay the penalty for our breaches of the law to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus died the death that we should die. Living a perfect, sinless life, he fulfilled the law perfectly and completely for you and me. Moses was a foreshadow of who was to come. Moses was the mediator of the temporal and conditional old covenant. And Jesus is the true and better Moses. He's the mediator of the eternal and unconditional new covenant. Moses delivered the people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land of Canaan. Christ delivers us out of bondage and slavery to sin and condemnation and brings us to the promised land of eternal life. Galatians 3, 23 through 24 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only were our sins put on him, and he was given what we deserve, but his righteousness comes to us. His obedience and fulfillment of the law comes to us. Now when God looks at us, he sees us through the finished work of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Romans six ten through 11. For the death he died, he died to sins, one for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So therefore, now, we don't have to be afraid to obey the law. We're not under the law for salvation because the law, <clears throat> we're accepted because of what Jesus has done and not in keeping the law. As Romans 16, uh, 6 to 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now we can go to the law out of love and delight for God. Are we going to go there imperfectly? Sure. But we can begin to love the Lord because he's provided the way for us to come to him. And it's not out of guilt or just simply to submit to him. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. 
And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The gospel hum- humbles us to not be self-righteous. It points us to love and serve God with others and with Christ as our example. I'm going to close with these words by John Newton. He's the author of the hymn Amazing Grace that we'll be singing here in just a minute. It goes like this. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. To see the law of Christ, by Christ fulfilled and to hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the finished work of Christ, that we can come to you and love you out of pleasure and out of choice, that there's no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer slaves to sin under the law, but we're children of God. You are our God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Those words by John Newton.